Alrighty guys, what is up? It is Stu. It is another episode of What the Fuck Gym Talk. And I've got my friend, my colleague, Mr. John Briggs, owner of Insight Tax, the author of Profit First. You finally get to add author to your title here as well. Yay. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and dude, you're in fucking like Target now, right? Aren't you in stores and shit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're in, John, you're in fucking stores. Your kid, like you even like walk into Target and just like go by and just like see like that. I think that'd be a very cool, surreal moment. If I had a book and it was in Target, I, when I went into Target, I don't care what the fuck I was there to get, uh, a sous vide, a convection cooker, some towels or toothpaste, my ass would walk by the book section just to see my shit. And then I, I grab right? it and go to the cashiers and be like, hey, that, hey, uh, that, that's me. That's my Just book. bring it to her autographed already and just think like, <laughs> yeah. you might want this. You're welcome. You're welcome. This will be worth something. Um, <laughs> I love it, man. So how have, let's talk about the present stuff. Obviously, um, your video content, you guys had to be very up to date, taking in as much information with COVID, with EIDLs and PPP loans, and trying to put whatever information you, you could together for gym owners. What, what was that like? Because you literally had to like stay up, get that, get the briefs, hear the banks make their announcement, the president sign into law, and then you had to have like your content ready to go because you knew the next day within 12 hours, even less, it's just going to get flooded with information. What, what was that like? Yeah, it's actually, I feel like it was a little bit worse than that because you had all the lead up to it actually becoming law. And yeah. so we were already getting flooded with, hey, did you hear about this? Hey, can I do this? How, how do I get my free money? Where does this come from? And like for us, we're just like, dude, we are not going to announce anything until something is officially law. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with how government works, but usually the house has an idea and then they send it to the Senate and the Senate says, well, this is stupid because typically they're both run by the opposing political party or vice versa. And so like, we're going to wait till it's law. But yeah, it was, it was a little rough to be honest that once the law passed and then it's like, it's how many, it, it, what? How many pages is this thing? Freak, I got to read this like yeah, yeah. tonight. Um, yeah, it wasn't super awesome um, in that regard, but it, it had to get done. You know, it's yeah. like, I think probably I think about some of these like games athletes or people in big competitions and they see the, the workout or whatever the competition thing is right there live. And they're like, well, this is probably going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it felt like for us. I, when you guys, so how many uh, micro gyms or businesses are you currently working with on the bookkeeping profit first side? We have about 380 micro gym okay. clients right now. Out of the 380, how many of them got PPP? Do you think? Um, I would say 50% in okay. the first round. I haven't, we haven't sure. tracked it too much with this additional funding stuff. They have going yeah. On. Do you guys also do direct deposit for these gyms as well for their payroll? Do you guys uh, no, like? We do don't, you guys do any service? Do you do do, do any? You do like paychecks, or you outsource it to someone else, or do you guys even include that in your yeah. services? Um, we don't do live payroll. Got it. It is interesting because you know a lot of gyms get PPP, and then the big you know obviously it's like whatever bank gave it to you, go and set up an account there and keep all that shit there, so it's a clean, clear cut slate. And probably my favorite video of yours that I've referenced to everyone that's been in the situation was the concept of how do I use EIDL money for other things. Is the EIDL is, if everyone did the economic injury disaster loan, um, 
which was historically safe for like agriculture and those kind of industries. And obviously they opened it up for everybody, but um, how can I use that for this other stuff I need? Because I read the rules and I'm not allowed to use it for all this stuff. And your video, where you were to. Be correct, I want to. I want to break the rules. How do I break the rules without getting in trouble is essentially what people are asking you. But your video where you took the seven essential accounts, if anybody is not following what I'm saying, you need to go pick up a copy of Profit First for Microgyms that John wrote. And he talks about the seven essential accounts where you add these seven accounts. I think four or so of them are checking accounts, three of them are savings accounts. And you use your OPEX, not the individual design company, but your operational expenses account and, you're in, and you put your P, you put your EIDL funds in there and now that frees you up. So if you typically were making a $10,000 payment to X, Y, and Z, you go ahead and you make that $10,000 payment out of that OPEX account, which now has your EIDL funds in it. And now you've freed up $10,000 of your other, your, the money you would have spent and now go fucking use that to spend on the things you want to use your EIDL funds for. Um, anyway, man, it was a great video. I thought, because finance is so hard to make visually um, connect the dots. And I just think you always do just a really good fucking job with that. Yeah, thanks. We, it's funny when I was thinking through that, I'm like, is this even, wait, could this work? Like I'm drawing out boxes. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the rules. I'm looking at the EIDL like contract that people are signing. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, this 100%. could work. Yeah. Yeah, they can't it, control my income that I'm getting correct. from members. And if, and if you do the seven essential accounts, you just have this nice dedicated boom income account where your mind, body, push, press, and tribes all deposit the dues and funds, boom, right into that income account. And that's, I mean, it, it would, you'd be able to have a very clear argument if anybody came knocking, right? Um, and I do, I believe there's gonna be task force later on, like in 2022 and all this. I don't think this is gonna be immediate, but there will be task force that are gonna come out and start whooping yeah. ass. On It'll be immediate based on government time frame sure i'm sure they're thinking about it but it's going to take them two years to even roll it out 100 percent. and by that time who knows what's happening with the presidential it's just like there's all kinds of variables that are going to come into play um it's interesting i uh you know a lot of I, i've referred profit first to a lot of people and that's one of the main feedbacks I've, that I get. And, then, and it's typically not only from gym owners, it's sometimes if I talk to other people who are maybe also CPAs and things, it's the idea of, well, if my client or if I have a ton of seven different accounts, okay, versus one big account, I'm gonna be holding smaller balances and all those. I'm like, well, that's part of the idea of big plates, small plates, as you outlined in the book. And I'm like, doesn't overdrafting become an issue on some of these accounts because they're going to be small and isn't there bank fees that are associated with it? And how, and my response naively, ignorantly not being an expert on this topic is a try to find a bank that doesn't fuck you with the bank fees. Right. And it's not super easy. You might want to stay with the bank of America because their app is amazing and it's more convenient, but there's a give and take. What, what is your feedback? You know, how can you make me sound smarter when people ask me those questions, but besides me be like, yeah, fuck it. Call John. Yeah. Um, which is always a great answer anyways. Uh, <laughs> call John. No, so the, the reality is we actually recommend OPEX being the only checking account and you can make all the other ones savings accounts. Potentially you make income in a checking account just because some merchant processors don't want to deposit directly into a savings account. But other than that, so that way they literally, these other accounts become holding buckets. So the only way for you to have an overdraft is if you personally manually try to draft out more money from the account, which a bank won't even let you do. Sure. So 
there's never been a scenario where we've had clients have an overdraft charge in one of those other non-OPEX accounts because they're transferring money from the income account into the holding account. And then when they need the funds, they transfer back to the OPEX account and then pay for the bill out of OPEX. Got it. So anyone's listening, seven accounts, one big income account. When the income comes in, one OPEX account. These are two checking accounts. Or even the uh-huh. income account, which you keep as a savings as well. Yeah, if they elect you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just running everything else as savings. And if you can get like an allied bank, like a high yield savings, like a lot of people got EIDLs. They've got a huge amount of cash that came in. And, you know, people ask me like, so what do you recommend? I'm like, if you can get a high yield savings account, because that money's just going to sit in it because you're using it as rainy day funds. That right. maybe that, maybe that'd be a way to go. Um, talk to me about EIDL. That was an interesting one. Everyone was talking PPP because it came with free grant money and it didn't have to be paid back. It's obviously the most attractive menu on the item or the item on the menu. And then there's EIDL which is no free grant money and does have to be paid back. It's an amazing loan, a better SBA loan than available. People are familiar with SBA loans. They typically come with prepayment penalties. Like I've got an uh, SBA 504 on this building and that comes with a waterfall style prepayment penalty over the course of 10 years. Um, but the, uh, the EIDL was interesting. You know, what, uh, how many people do you know took that out of your 300 plus microgym clients? Um, I didn't really follow that too much, but, I would say in our entire client base, um, we're probably aware of a few hundred that got okay. EI deals. And yeah. what was your recommendation for taking it? Is it, hey, the world's crazy. It's good to have cash yeah. on hand because it's a good because it's a really good deal. What was your what was your thought on the ideal? This is actually really timely because I've been fielding this question. I feel like a lot this week um, because they're it seems like the SBA is finally in control again and back on like not with a backlog. Um, here's, here's, the, here's a couple things with the idea. One, there's nowhere where you actually request a certain dollar amount that you want. You put in your revenue numbers, you put in your business number, they're coming back to you with whatever they feel like they're willing to loan to you. So for example, we, Insight Tax is a multi-million dollar revenue firm we were offered $150,000 EIDL. I have a client who does $300,000 in revenue. He was offered $150,000 EIDL. No rhyme or reason to the number. Um, Now, I think what's happening too then is you have these gym owners, like this one guy particular today, he's like, so they're offering me 125. I don't even know, like, I don't need that much. What do I do? It's like, how do I, what should I tell them I should need? Well, the reality is you can't tell them what you need. You have to accept the initial funds because there's literally nowhere in the application for you to say, I want a percentage of this. They, you just fill out like three steps and then the money shows up in your bank account. Yep. Then once you have the funds, if you really don't want to hold on to all of it because you're worried about the interest, uh, go ahead and pay back the portion that you don't plan on using. That's the only way that I've seen with the way the SBA is handling the process. Um, so yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> the interest expense, I get it. Some people are conservative and they don't wanna lose extra money if they don't have to. Um, but you're talking about a few thousand dollars a year on 150 grand if that's the number that you have. Um, I don't know. I, I'm a big fan of having the extra rainy day, even having more than I need, especially since this whole thing is going down. And we at least have one state who officially is 
re-shut down. We don't know what's going to happen. And pr people are predicting another, out a bigger outbreak come winter time. And, you know, like, I, I want as much cash on hand as possible right now. Yeah. Uh, so WTF Gym Talk, we, did, we got offered, um, and I threw it back and forth when I was going to do it. And then it was, you know, so we took it. And it was like 96. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to sit there and it's just, it's oh shit Armageddon fun type scenario. It's, you don't need it, don't want it necessarily, but you know, there are things I have now and needed now that I didn't realize I was going to need five months ago. So uh, it's, it's one of those things that I think if you have the opportunity, you know, even with the interest payments and things like that, it's, it's a smart thing to do in my opinion. Um, it's interesting right now. We, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of gyms either, you know, there's some, a lot of conservative, conservative plays happening, people adjusting payroll percentages, things like that. People, you know, maybe had cash intensive plans in 2020. We're going to redo the lounge, right? Well, those plans are now gone, right? Um, and then there's other guys who maybe were really good sitting on cash and saving and they're able when there's blood in the streets, people who have cash in a time of crisis, you know, you saw this in the housing market, guys that had cash and when everything went to shit, boom, instantly over the course of six months, they own seven homes now in your time. They're going to, you know, uh, buying buildings at 30% off. I've got, I've seen a lot of gyms that I've talked to and worked with recently. They're now doing a, like acquiring. Like right now you're able to walk into the competitor gym down the street that you don't think was doing good, but he was the only other player. And you're like, Hey, listen, how much does it take for you to just tap, right? You've got the choke on you, the choker, the choker's on you right now. How much more for you to tap? If I give you, and again, you can do it for pennies on the dollar typically, depending on what a, a tight spot somebody's in. Have you had any, have you had any acquisition mergers, anything like that happening? The clients that you've been speaking no, with? No, I've only heard the uh, sad side on the back end where people had a deal almost set or handshaked, but not signed yeah. yet. And then COVID happened yep. and then they like had to close their gym anyways. So yeah. now they're not able to sell it. Um, I've only heard those stories. Yeah. That's uh, timing is everything, right? Timing is everything. And I, no matter what happens, whether, let me ask you this. Are you, are you recession book? Do you believe this is going to be that we're going to hit a, a heavy recession here in the next 12 months? I don't, man. I, well, no, I don't think it'll be what we are expecting. Okay. And based on the current way that the feds and the way they flush money into the system, um, I think the, I'm optimistic the government is going to figure out a way to kind of soften the recession, just like they did with the housing crisis. Uh, I do potentially think inflation might go somewhere because sure. all this money that just got in, influxed into the system, like it effectively was just printed. So where's, where's the stability behind that actual dollar value? Um, I also, I do think certain markets, I think the commercial market is going to crash within the next 12 months. Uh, because a lot of us are realizing, hey, you know what? I can I don't need a lease. pretty virtually. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I have definitely seen gym owners saying, hey, this is not sad news. I'm closing my doors and we're going to become a virtual company because this sure. has been working for us. Yeah, absolutely. You just lowered your overhead by a few four or $5,000 a month. <laughs> so I, on the commercial side... I'm, I'm banking on the opposite. I'm where we, uh, we have 3000 square feet in here. We're leasing currently or in the power, hoping the lease here currently. So I'm, I'm hoping that's a strong, strong lease through lease signing, but 
on the gym owner side, because you were also a very cool, unique dual role, two hats of the Insight Tax Hat, and also you own an affiliate. Talk to me about that. Where where does your head uh, at on the digital offering versus the in person? I love the idea of a digital offering because you are no longer geographically handcuffed. And so if you're good at marketing, you have now given yourself that much more opportunity to find people. Um, I do think you need a solid program uh, because you have to realize you're competing with the Pelotons of the world that have more budget than you will ever have. And so what are you going to do to stand out that's going to retain that virtual client? Um, I, I mean, mostly that's going to be accountability and relationship and how you handle that. I, I think, I do feel like a lot of gyms went too far on the, how do we find the sexy technology? When in reality, we just need to be human and person and like contact person to person, you know? Um, I think, but I think it can be super viable. Um, that being said, it is a totally new revenue stream for gyms. And even if you were somehow able to pull it off during the COVID shutdown, I would recommend going back and looking at your current service offering to make sure you're constantly improving it because um, it's like, I've heard this analogy before, and maybe it was from you. In the early days of CrossFit, for example, you could sling muddy water. You didn't have to have a pretty presentation because if people were coming to you, they loved it. Then all of a sudden there was this influx of affiliates and it became oversaturated. Now you needed that clear glass of water. I think that there's a little bit of an element with that with the virtual services. And so don't get caught with your pants down, like continue to innovate, continue to make it better. Don't rest on your laurels, but I think it'd be sure. a solid revenue stream. I think it's the, the unique thing. I was having this conversation with my team. The only, the only advantage I think is you're right. You know, and I, you know, we pride ourselves on putting an aesthetic first product out for ours and having a nice app for it. Like everybody else is working to do and, and learning how to edit because most gyms are not then going ahead and, and allocating a $30,000 year job in COVID to a editor and videographer for this. That's, that's not happening. So you're, you know, you're spending the 40 hours learning Final Cut Pro and you're investing in a camera and shit like that. But here, and, but why would anybody ever take my product, your product, any of these, the, the half-assed gym owners, and they're, they're not half-assed in their effort, they're half-assed compared to the rest of the market, take that muddy water option when there is some, when there is a studio in New York City has been doing this for three years and has a fucking polished version that just does it, whether it's active or tone or, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, the mirror just got acquired by Lululemon and all this stuff. Why would anybody else not? And I think the best part is, is, your product is only viable, not worldwide, like everybody's talking about. Like, is there anyone in Des Moines, Iowa, that's going to fuck with movement anywhere in urban movement in Charlotte, North Carolina? Probably not. And the guru guys that are out there selling that idea, like, you could sell to the world now. No, mustache man, you can't. I mean, you could, but I don't think that's where the viability is. I think the viability is in, hey, you, if you're more comfortable working out at home or you prefer that, wouldn't it be also great to be able to check in with that live print and have like, know they're right around the corner from you, right? Like you could get the delivery to your home, but also eat in the restaurant at the same time. That's nice too. And that, that's kind of where I see the only advantage we have in the digital space is that you do have the location they can go to for 
hey, do digital, but coming, you know, once a month for a check-in, do one session with a coach or just a meeting with a coach, talk and see how things are going, swap out that equipment. Oh, that 15 pound kettlebell is too light now. Let's get you the 25, right? Like I, I just, that is really the only digital play I see for the brick and mortar doing both. I think the, the one argument I'd give to that is if a um, gym is able to dial in their marketing message, their character, what their character wants, and they can set themselves apart from an authority standpoint for their specific niche. Right? Misfits, comp that, train, yes. If you can do that, I think you could have worldwide audiences because the niche person, I think that's my only. 100%. And, and so I look at, those are the Kelly Starrettes and the mobility wads of the world, all the competitor based programming for CrossFit athletes. Um, even, you know, you look at um, uh, what the fuck is that uh, Miranda's one uh, street parking. Street parking is an online programming mm -hmm. community. They're killing it. Um, you look at all those, but you have to become, you have to become the 1% in that area, which yep as someone like you and me that talks to a wide audience, that is, can't be the game plan. We're going to, Hey, everyone, everyone run for the 1%. It's not that <laughs> y'all do it. And then just guess what? Just 1% is going to get there. And so yeah. it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. If you can become an authority on it. And I, was, I've been, I mean, I've been wanting gym owners. Like I think it's ridiculous that if John Briggs owns a CrossFit affiliate, you have members there that are paying Ben Bergeron for programming. He's never seen them move. Why? It's only because, he makes more content than you. Hence, he who makes more content is the authority, whether they're right or wrong. And that is the honest to God truth. And, and yep. that's just the bottom line. He has more currency in the content world, meaning he has more authority. And, um, you know, there's a lot of micro gym owners that are going to listen to this that don't really like making videos, but they know a fuck ton. You know, I've seen the evolution of OPEX. James Fitzgerald is one of the most knowledgeable guys I've ever, I've ever met. And it wasn't until they really went hardcore into content and, you know, sharing it and, and all that, that people like, I, I believe people really started looking at them beyond the brand of James Fitzgerald to, they are a knowledgeable company. I, everything they put out is knowledge based. And now they're seeing like a zillion vlogs and blogs and podcasts and everything. Um, so I think about, about yeah. um, there's, I've seen this in other industries and I don't want gym owners to think that they're immune to this. I've seen some of the best products from business owners come through my doors and we're doing some tax consulting and they never get off the ground because they did not get their message out. They did not get the right content out there. And I've seen the crappiest products make a crap ton of money because they got the content out there. Like if we look at that from a gym owner standpoint, it's exactly what you just said. Gym owners need to be putting content out, even if it's hyper-local. You, will, you have to do that in order to be viewed as the authority. If you're not, no one even knows where you're at. Yes. And, it's, and you have to find the niche. And I joke around with this all the time. I ride like, I've got an electric skateboard, right? I ride that all the time. If I really wanted to go ahead, I'd tank the fucking gym and I would start an online fitness programming for people who ride an electric skateboard. It's just because you, I mean, like it's obnoxious, but that's the niche of a niche. The more obnoxious it is, the more opportunity it is. The bigger the market, the more you have to niche in. If the market's small, you have to be general. But the bigger the market, the more you've got a niche in. And um, I, I, I think you're right. I hope a lot of people that doesn't fall in deaf ears that your digital product is probably going to be only hyper locally relevant. And it's hopefully going to be the stepping stone. Previously, people, the stepping stone to doing fitness was probably for CrossFit gyms, going to the YMCA, walking, doing whatever. And I'm going to get fit before I cross it. Maybe they did an orange theory or something like that. 
I think this could now be your own branded message. So someone comes in like, Oh my God, I've been watching him on TV in my living room every day for 30 days. And now I go to the gym and I know John, right? Whatever it may be. Um, the branding and messaging is all concise. And then when they walk in the door, it feels like a similar experience. And then think about this. Think of your members, John, when, I don't know if you guys look at microeconomics and you're like, I look, I like to look at like attendance, like class attendance, daily attendance, kind of like an airline. I, I'm thinking of the gyms more like airlines these days than anything else. If Sally can't make it to class, she just didn't work out that day pre COVID. But now if Sally can't make it to class and she also has access to your thing, something's better than nothing. And her getting in your quick express 20 minute at home workout, 30 minute at home workout, she still feels about it. She doesn't feel like, Ugh, you know, I just haven't been going to the gym. I'm going to cancel. Like being a working out at home doesn't have to be a schlub anymore. It's not like it's not nothing. It's now a thing that is quality. You've got a good product out there. Kitting it is the biggest thing, I think. Once the supply chain in China opens up, we got to be able to kit this stuff, meaning sending them with some equipment and then being able to pick up some of your equipment and take it. Fucking Barry's Bootcamp, they send you the red lights to put, like floodlights to put in your house so it's the red room, so it looks just like their fucking studio. I mean, like, it, it's, yeah, it's crazy good. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm all up on it. Did you guys, what did you guys do on that route? Did you pivot there in any way with the, with the digital? Did you do just private coaching and how did you guys pivot there? Yep. Um, we did not pivot very well, which was one of my learning lessons. So going into COVID, we were in the process of hiring a full-time GM. So like our gym up until that point, every single person, including myself and my other business partner, we were part-time at the gym, which means... Our gym was no one's number one priority. Sure. Like, yeah. right when, when the pandemic happened, I went like nose to the grindstone for gym owners and triple P loans. And my gym had to get on the back burner. Yeah. And I'm like, freak, this is, was a perfect opportunity for us to just try it out. So we did the Zoom classes. We had terrible attendance on the Zoom classes. Yeah. Um, we lost 10% of our members. Um, but for, so for me, the big takeaway was we, we need this full-time GM. So we actually hired him before we even reopened before the state let us reopen. Like we need you on board. We need someone who this is their full-time gig, sure. uh, so that we can do things better. And so that we didn't really pivot super great there. Fair enough, man. That's good. I mean, that's <laughs> lessons, uh, wins and, uh, learns not wins and losses. Where are you at currently? You guys open? We are open. Yeah. Great. How's we have the, uh, it's been great. Um, we have 15 box, no, 16 boxes taped off on the floor and everyone gets their spray bottle and a towel that we bought so that they can wipe it down. And, you know, we're doing laundry every other yeah. day now for towels. It, it, the gym has never been cleaner. Um, I imagine this is a habit's going to stick period because I, I love it. I always thought our gym could get cleaned more often than a couple times a week. And so, um, but it's been great. We are adding new members. Uh, we just did, ended a nutrition challenge. We followed the HSN 28-day challenge model. model, And uh, I think we've signed up. Like, we literally just ended uh, today. And she's already signed up, like, three new nutrition coaches or clients. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're picking. We're finding those 10% we lost. And, like, we have yeah. great momentum now that we have someone full-time. It's great. I think... Yeah, I think it's interesting. I'm not, we're, we're legally not open, but we're open. We had to open up against orders. Um, 
We didn't want to. We were going to walk hand in hand with North Carolina the whole way. But once the PPP money ran out and all your your, your reserves are gone, your back's up against the wall, you, you're going to figure it the fuck out, bottom line, you know? Um, and it's been cool. CMP, the local police and city council, even like people are very supportive, um, which has been great. And, and we've had a, a great influx. You know, we, we did a good job running ads and, you know, running a, an entire slogan based campaign while we were closed that carried over. And I'm happy with that. It's uh, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the year finishes out. I think some people might be in a good position to finish out decent, like, and by decent, I mean, in the black or back to where they were end of, you know, February 28th, maybe. Um, and, and, but yeah, I, I, I don't think it's over for the, per, for the, you know, unfortunately the, the fall of a lot of gyms and I, I know a lot of guys that, and girls that it, that's happened to, and it's, it sucks. It's sad. You know, um, I think it's really, if there's ever a lesson to like, you need to have reserves, you need to have an, a rainy day fund. Like if that's, if that's not apparent now more than ever, I don't know what people are like. Like, well, when's this ever going to happen again? Famous last words from the last time someone went out of business and said that. That's the thing. When will this ever happen again? It could literally happen if you have a couple pieces of equipment breakdown in a month. Like, that's one of the reasons why I am so infatuated with Profit First is because uh, I'm currently in the process of gathering the data, but our clients who had been running Profit First prior, well, yeah, it's stressful and it sucks when you close down, but by following the methodology, you had a reserve in these holding accounts. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, compare, we're going to compare their data to the new clients who are calling us because they don't have cash flow and they're looking sure. to get that implemented and compare their two experiences. And, you know, problem first, and, and I've, you know, I remember you turned me on to it with Michalowicz's book a while back and, you know, seeing it from his angle and then obviously hearing it from your specific angle for the micro gym. What is it for a lot of gyms you find this pushback? So like, for example, one of the big questions I always get is, all right, so cool. I go and set up my seven magical accounts, right? And then what, every dollar that comes in, am I just going ahead and I have to take a, a, a drop in my account from tribe comes in for $7,000 for our draft. Am I just instantly allocating it to the percentages as laid out in your book and doing that manually? Like it, that it's the manual labor part of it. I think that bothers people, but that's, I mean, does your book, do you guys with your bookkeeping services, how do you guys recommend people? Is that something you handle or is that something you kind of give them? Here's how to make it less tedious. Um, I mean, the system itself is built to be the least tedious as possible. I think it's important for gym owners to understand that there is no level of abdication you can do on your accounting. You can have someone do it for you, but you are ultimately always responsible for it. And so with the profit first system, sitting down once every Friday or twice a month for 10 to 15 minutes, I did my allocations today because today's the 10th. Um, it took me like 20 minutes and I like it because I'm looking at my numbers. I'm seeing how, How's my cash flow comparing? And I see the money sitting in the income account and I get to transfer to these other accounts. Like it's fun. It's playing with your money. I mean, I'm not swimming in a vault of cash like Scrooge McDuck, Scrooge but McDuck, it's still yeah. fun. <laughs> um, but so like there's a time commitment that you have to put into having a healthy cash flow system. Now we do offer those services. Um, we we can, will allocate for clients once a week or twice a month uh, for those who don't want to do it. Uh, but I mean, either way, like it has to get done. You're because it's a percentage based system. 
you can't use a flat dollar amount because in this case, let's say, especially comparing pre-COVID to now COVID, like during COVID, your income was higher. And if you had a flat amount of 500 bucks, say to a certain account, well, now all of a sudden that your revenue is lower, that 500 bucks becomes a huge hit. Sure. If we then, instead we say it's 5% of what's sitting in your income account. Now it doesn't matter how much revenue is there. It's always 5% goes into my yeah. account. Um, yep. And so that's why it has to manually be done. But there's, I just feel like there's a level of reward we get from the universe or whatever you want to call it, just by being responsible and like saying, I care about my money. I'm going to take 10 to 20 minutes every two weeks and just yeah. play with it. <laughs> it's interesting, man. It's uh, you mentioned there, like, I, I, I'm going to go back to this fucking, this electric skateboard thing. I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy going places now. Right. Like I, it's, they're sitting in traffic, which sucks and driving, but that's just how it's always been done. And I think about that even for like for gyms before they kind of get on a profit first system and think about it, like, oh, just money. And there's one checking account and there's a bunch of money in it, but I already know it's allocated to other things, but whatever, it's just there. But when you actually do something, so like my relationship with the city and the way I ride around is way different. I actually enjoy certain areas of Charlotte. I never would have fucked with before. Like literally just like, Oh, that's just that area. And I love riding through there. I love the scenery. I love the vibe of that neighborhood. And there's, there's a different relationship with transportation there. I mean, on this one front and I I've heard exactly what you said. And I've talked even with me and Aaron have talked about it. Clients that now have a much different relationship with their money. Some clients dread looking at the checking account, dread it. It is literally like they refuse to, it's like you hear about this in body shaming issues and people who don't have mirrors in their house because of maybe uh, body dysmorphia and things like that. But once you just face it and you look at the money and you, like you said, play in it, but you just get comfortable in it. And then when you're doing it right and it grows a little bit, that becomes very rewarding. You develop a different relationship with that money you worked for. And it's, it's super, it, I think it's very interesting. Just in you, again, you can take this to transportation, you can take this to, to profit first, you can take it to fitness, whatever. But once you actually get, you know, without being cliche, comfortable with the uncomfortable, but you mess around with that. Um, I think a lot of people were like, actually kind of like nerding out on this. A lot of people did it with video editing. People like, I don't want to, I would rather hire somebody. I'm like, this is how much it would cost. So like, never mind. I'm not going to hire somebody. I'm going to do it myself. And then at the end, like, I kind of like doing this because I took the time to shoot that video and then I kind of got to edit it and it's cool seeing the final product and my members like it. And I'm like, is there a little yeah. bit something you like about taking all these pieces of these clips and putting a layer, an adjustment layer over top and editing them and color grading? Like, yeah, it's not what I want to do forever, but there's something enjoyable about the process. I feel like you're getting to play with the clay with profit first and then you actually see the end product. Yeah. And the thing is, all of us, um, even if it's subconscious, we had a money blueprint created for us from birth, from our experience growing up, like there's a money blueprint like drilled into us. And I actually wish there was more psychology classes that we received in my CPA education, because a lot of what we do is dealing with people's psychology of their yeah. money. Yep. And if we understood that better, help them face whatever it is that's getting in their way. I mean, I, for the book, I interviewed um, a lady, her name is Lisa Keeker. And when she owned her studios, she got to the point where she had five studios in different states and she was only working like five hours a week because she approached, she finally got over like her fear of looking at the numbers. But prior to that, she was like everyone else, 80 hours a week, burning midnight oil, burning the candle at both ends or whatever sayings people have. And, uh, you know, just, you, you have to face that fear. Um, and, 
you know, having a psychology degree would have helped better, but profit first, I feel like helps people get over that because then they, you just follow the system, trust that it'll work, try it out for a couple months. And all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, I have money sitting in this account. And I didn't even feel the pain of not having it available to spend on my expenses. Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's super interesting. I, uh, let me ask you this. What percentage I got to, I'm only asking you this because I'm, I'm head, I'm hoping that it's such a low number. What percentage of people get in the profit first and then say, no, it's not for me. I don't like this. I cannot imagine it's even a, I can't even imagine it's a high percent at all, or it's even a low percent. I vaguely remember one person telling me that, like I tried it and it didn't work. Um, gosh, but I'd have to say less than five people in my entire life have I heard about it? I mean, I definitely have had conversations with people who said, I'm trying it and I'm not liking it. And then in further conversation, we uncover what they're not doing right in the system. I had one guy, sure. cause you mentioned that example. It's a real life example. Okay. So $15 came in. Do I need to allocate it to all my different accounts? Like, no, you let it acquire, like group up and then you just do it all at once. He was literally doing allocations once a day. I'm like, yeah, I would hate that too. Sure. Even that, I saw yeah. your article pop up. I think this is a relevant one. Um, I shared it with a couple of my guys in my group for WTF. Uh, draft dates. You know, people who have little drip drop drafts all throughout. It's funny, my two businesses, WTF and ESC, right? So the gym, two draft dates, boom. They all hit. All the money's in on these two dates, boom. Unfortunately, with the software I use with WTF, it's little drip drops all throughout the month. And I fucking hate that. And, you know, someone might buy a course here or buy a course there, so it's whatever. What do you recommend for gyms if they're thinking of getting in the profit first? They want to have allocation days. Do you like one draft day, two draft days? Do you mind drip drops? What, what does that look like for you? What is your big recommendation there? Also, we recommend no less than twice a month. Um, I would say 50%, and this is not just gym owners. This is across, this is from Profit First headquartered data. Uh, about 50% of people doing Profit First do it weekly. Now, um, when you come to like the drip drop deposits, if at all possible, it is better to have those coming in on one day and then maybe have your allocation day the following day. Uh, just because you're, you're cutting back on an actual merchant processing fees when you do it that way. Yes. Uh, because every day, what um, people may not batch, know is that the batch every day or every time they batch it, you pay a fee for them to do that. And that adds up if you're batching every single day. Yep. And so 100%. if you shorten your batches and you don't actually need all that income every single day, uh, it, it just saves you money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it sounds archaic, but there is a benefit uh, having gyms have retail. There's not actually a point of sale. Somebody comes, gets it, you write it all down. And then all the retail sales from this day to this day all get charged on a singular day and someone runs and enters them all in versus uh, a few cliff, you know, fi- uh, kill clips on one day and a fucking smart bar on another day. It just, it, it works out a lot better. Now, the only, the only difference is we generally, you'll hear in the, in the sleazy uh, world of business consulting from microgemers, don't batch their retail on the same day you do their membership fees because it creates a higher deduction out of their checking account. So when they look, they see this bigger reduction out of their checking account from ABC Fitness and it might be their membership dues and then the say then another one of all the fucking you know retail they bought that week and now they're like oh that gym's cost me 260 a month um it's there's it's so interesting money 
creates a million, and there's this in business everywhere, but money specifically, there are so many different strategies and opinions on stuff. Weekly pricing versus monthly pricing. Well, Stu, there's X amount of weeks in it. Yeah, I get it. I know. I can do the math too. I, I understand it. You know, that kind of scenario. Um, do you guys, uh, do you guys get people asking those kind of questions? Like the, not, they're not salesy questions, but they're more like, how do I make money not seem like that big of a deal to the customer? How can I do the, my, my charging a little bit differently? Should I charge them weekly? Should I, would you guys ever get any of that? Yeah, we don't, we don't get prize many cause, um, that's, that's more of your role, like as a consultant. Sure. Um, uh, we certainly, I mean, we, we talk about it internally, like from an insight tax standpoint, like, look, if they're paying a thousand dollars for tax returns right now, and we're going to double their price instead of saying, Hey, we're twice as expensive. You say we're only a thousand dollars more than what you're paying. And I just showed you how to save $5,000 sure. in taxes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, we don't, we don't get a lot of those questions. That's not in our wheelhouse. Yeah. What, um, as you guys are looking to tax season right now, what's, you know, obviously, you know, we got pushed back, you know, we're now coming up to July 15th. A lot of people are Pressing extensions had to be filed, all this kind of stuff. What is what's your headache? What, what's what's your work look like now at Insight? Like, what is? Are you working this weekend? Are you gonna be like balls to the wall, or is uh you guys got everything buttoned up? Well, um, because we're not used to working in July. Um, no, I do not want to work this weekend. I'm not working this weekend. But I did. I already put in the time this week to get caught up. So it's like, hey, what hours would I work on Saturday? Great, I'll just stay later. Um, so yeah, it is balls to the wall though till the fifteenth because yeah. we're finally responding and um, yeah, it is what it is. So I, it's one of the mantras that I tell um, people a lot. All human performance happens to a deadline, which is why marketing people say always say like, hey, this offer is good until Friday or sure. be one of the first five. It's it's just how it works. It's no different with taxes. It just happens that the government's the one who's imposed the deadline of behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I never tried to point out people like, Hey, you're letting the government control your life because you're responding to their deadline instead of, you know, getting me the stuff earlier. <laughs> sure. Yeah. What, um, what's next? We, will there be a sequel to profit first for micro gyms? Will there be a second book? Um, I don't, I don't know if there'll be a second book on cash flow management. I don't know yet. Um, the Audible, I submitted it. I'm waiting for them to officially awesome. put it on their platform. And, the, so and it's you dictating that. it? Yeah, yeah. I'll fucking buy it just for that, John. I'll buy it just to hear your voice. <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, <laughs> I do have, I have been working on a couple concepts. Um, we'll see if it turns into anything. One of the things, so I'm a big fan of Mike Michalowicz. I would consider him a mentor. Sure. Um, and one of the things that he learned, so one of his books, which he and his co-author argue is probably one of their best written books, flopped. It's called Surge. And he's like, the reason it flopped is because it was all theory. There's no application. The people who like my books like application. If you think about, if anyone's he familiar, like, steps. he always has a process. He always, always has, has steps, like, yeah, he has yeah. action items after every check and typically, or after every chapter, typically he has one general tool and then he writes the book around the tool. Yeah. Um, and so I have some concepts that I'm, I have to create the tool first and see if it works internally here. Uh, but we'll see. Cool. We'll see. I, I'm uh, I have no doubt, man. You're a, You're a very hardworking guy. You do a great job at what you do. 
I've uh, I've never heard anything bad from anyone who works with you, and I always I always recommend the because there's no one I I in finance there's no one I would recommend more if you're especially in the micro gym industry to jam with than than you guys. You know I'm a huge fan of your team and Aaron and all that, and uh, yeah, man, I'm excited for you, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to see what you do next, dude. It's always good to chop it up with you. I know you, me, and Marcus, we're gonna go on tour here and all that pre-COVID. We need to just we need to, we'll get the band back on another call here before the. Uh, before the end of the uh, before the end of the year, just to kind of talk and see what the possibility of doing something together is. But brother, I really do appreciate you coming on today. It's always good to chop it up with you. Yeah, always great chatting, Stu. Awesome, man. Have a good one, John. And real quick, always do the plug at the end. It's super easy. I'll get. I'll make sure to show the notes and everything. Show the links. But where can everybody reach you the easiest? Um, our website, insightstax.com or profitfirstformicrogyms.com. All roads lead to us. Perfect. Awesome. John, thank you very much, brother. Thank you. Awesome, man.